0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, July 22, 2019. Today, Equifax agrees to a settlement over its massive 2017 data breach. Microsoft invests a billion dollars in a generalized AI startup. Huawei is linked to North Korea's cellular network buildout. Google settles multiple lawsuits, including a decade-old one about Wi-Fi snooping. Apple's sequel to Tim Cook becomes apparent, and Senseless Violin. I'm Glenn Fleischman, in for Brian McCullough, and here's what you missed in the world of tech today. Equifax has agreed to pay up to $700 million to consumers, lawyers, and regulators over a massive breach of its credit information databases discovered in 2017. Personal data covering nearly 150 million people was exposed for months before the company discovered it, and then it waited six weeks to disclose the hacking. The FTC complaint says that multiple entities exploited the breach, who, though, are still unknown. Records included a host of private data and financial data, such as credit card numbers, driver's license numbers and details, social security numbers, dates of birth, phone numbers, and email addresses. Consumers are promised $300 million to $425 million. $100 million goes to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And $175 million heads to 48 states and Puerto Rico. Legal fees come out of the consumer portion. This settles all government litigation except with Indiana and Massachusetts, which have separate suits that remain underway. In a press release from the U.S. Public Interest Research Group, its federal consumer program director, Ed Mirzwinski, said, the shelf life of financial DNA is forever. So this sounds like a sweetheart deal for a company that failed to do its basic job, protect consumer data, Failure to protect privacy as a real harm, we think Equifax should have paid real money, not just go away money, and promised real changes to its sloppy last century practices. Equifax's 2018 earnings were $300 million, down from $600 million in net income in 2017. The firm had already anticipated a fine of this scale and put money in reserve. Equifax's CEO, at the time of the breach, was allowed to resign and retain what was valued in late 2017 as $90 million in compensation. Largely from stock. Despite two significant dips, the stock has recovered to nearly its all time high. Equifax's former chief information officer was sentenced to four months in jail in late June for insider trading by selling stock before the data breach announcement. Consumers will have to apply to receive reimbursement for time and expenses and can receive up to $20,000 each. That includes reimbursement for costs, expenses, losses, or charges due to identity theft. Consumers can get $25 an hour for up to 20 hours dealing with the aftermath, whether an identity theft crime occurred against them or not. They can also get reimbursed for various charges for credit reporting, credit monitoring, identity theft protection services, and things like postage, notarization, and mileage. You'll also be able to get years of free credit card monitoring and identity theft insurance coverage and more credit reports than now are available at no cost. CNBC's Kate Fazzini writes that it's going to be very hard for consumers to obtain relief, however. She notes that Equifax's current CO said multiple times on a Monday conference call related to the settlement that the data hasn't surfaced on the dark web, the collective term for criminal marketplaces that exchange and sell credit card numbers and personal information for identity theft or account hijacking. She writes, Instead, intelligence experts and security executives have told CNBC that the information was likely stolen by a foreign intelligence agency for spying purposes. But, she notes, the New York Attorney General's office will enforce a rule already in place that will allow consumers to treat any identity theft as resulting from the Equifax breach if their data was found in it. Despite the scale of the breach, little has changed in nearly two years. Microsoft said today it's investing a billion dollars into OpenAI, a richly pedigreed artificial intelligence firm in San Francisco. Elon Musk was a co-founder, and OpenAI has been run since March by the former head of Y Combinator, Sam Altman, another co-founder. The company was once a non and was reformed into a commercial venture to raise money. Microsoft's investment isn't quite as traditional as usual funding rounds. Instead, it's going to be paid out over time, taking even as long as a decade or more and in a savvy move, the money will be paid back to Microsoft for use of its Azure cloud services as OpenAI relies on massive amounts of on-demand computing instead of building an in-house supercomputer. The deal makes Microsoft the preferred partner for commercialization of OpenAI's technology while also having the two companies work together to create AI-focused supercomputer technologies for Azure. Chairman and CTO Greg Brockman said in a blog post, the most obvious way to cover costs is to build a product, but that would mean changing our focus. Instead, we intend to license some of our pre-AGI, that's Artificial General Intelligence Technologies, with Microsoft becoming our preferred partner for commercializing them. OpenAI's modest goal is creating a general form of artificial intelligence that's as supple and wide-ranging as the human brain in performing different tasks. Despite the massive gains in AI accuracy and performance since the flowering of deep learning several years ago, those systems have to be trained in highly specific domains. Asking a voice recognition algorithm to identify cats is like asking a digital video recorder to format pages for printing. OpenAI hasn't achieved this yet, of course, but it's already marked a milestone by beating the top players in the world at the video game Dota 2 via a system it developed that relies on reinforcement learning. Microsoft has invested heavily in AI before now, of course, as have all the other tech giants, Apple, Google parent company, Alphabet, Amazon, and Facebook. But a push for Artificial General Intelligence, or AGI, is relatively new and a kind of moonshot. Alphabet's DeepMind mind is similarly working towards AGI. AI emerged as a field decades ago with its early practitioners, sure that they could achieve a modestly functioning intelligence rather quickly, but they radically underestimated the complexity of cogitation. Deep learning doesn't simulate the brain, but uses an approach that allows a general algorithm to be trained on fine and coarse details and then provide matches or produce new results that are similar to the training set. Deep learning has nothing to do with thinking, and thus it can't be generalized. Those algorithms don't know the difference between a cat or dog, even though they can be trained to recognize them. Reinforcement learning, in contrast, has a system that starts from almost a blank slate and attempts all manners of behavior, and then it matches the outcome against a a target objective that it tries again and again and again until it gets closer and closer to the result. With Dota 2, OpenAI had its software carry out the equivalent of 45,000 years of gameplay and spent millions of dollars in server rental. Generalized AI may still be decades away or entirely impossible. In an interview with the New York Times, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said, whether it's our pursuit of quantum computing or it's a pursuit of AGI, I think you need these high ambition North stars. Of course, there are detractors. Jeffrey Hinton, a Turing Award winner and Google researcher, told the New York Times, It's too big a problem. I'd much rather focus on something where you can figure out how you might solve it. And his kicker was a killer. Why do we need
1: it? Today's show is sponsored by CloudBakers, which has helped businesses large and small transition to G Suite and Google's whole ecosystem of productivity apps for increased productivity and minimal disruption. But did you know that CloudBakers can also help you migrate to the Google Cloud platform? In fact, they were one of the first Google Cloud Premier Partners, CloudBakers will help you leverage the Google Cloud platform for data, application modernization, and machine learning. CloudBakers will migrate you to the cloud at the right pace for your business. Their Google-certified engineers can move and improve your apps and data to live in the cloud quickly and efficiently. And CloudBakers will help you achieve lasting success in the cloud with ongoing support, training, and custom solutions designed to fit your needs. You can learn more about what CloudBakers can do for you by going to cloudbakers.com slash ride. And they'll even give you a free cloud assessment. That's CloudBakers. Yes, baking solutions for your business in the cloud. Cloudbakers.com forward slash ride for a free assessment of your business's potential in the cloud. Today's podcast is sponsored by Pixel Union. Pixel Union launches digital and direct to consumer brands with world class design and development. Since 2009, they've made a name for themselves as one of the world's leading digital agencies, helping thousands of brands build, grow, and sell online. Today, They are Shopify's only 360-degree-plus partner with deep involvements in themes, apps, and custom commerce solutions. They also take on non-e-commerce work that interests them, again, in the realm of helping brands and platforms grow. If you have a digital brand in need of a world-class design partner, Pixel Union is equipped to take you from discovery through to delivery and beyond, building a solution that will scale and grow with your business. Harley Finkelstein... COO of Shopify says, quote, if you're looking for a custom solution, Pixel Union's team of experts will build an online experience your customers will love. Check them out today by going to pixelunion.net forward slash agency. That's pixelunion.net forward slash agency. Pixel Union, everything you need to help your brand grow.
0: Chinese firm Huawei already had trouble with credibility in the United States and elsewhere, and now the Washington Post reports that the company secretly helped North Korea build a commercial wireless network and keep it running. The Post says Huawei partnered with a firm owned by the Chinese government over projects spanning eight years. Evidence suggests the firms exited North Korea in 2016. Huawei told the Post it has no business presence in North Korea, but the Post says the company's spokesperson didn't answer detailed questions about its past involvement and didn't dispute the authenticity of documents the newspaper had acquired, but it also wouldn't verify them. The company said, quote, Huawei is fully committed to comply with all applicable laws and regulations in the countries and regions where we operate, including all export control and sanction laws and regulations. The post says that Huawei internal documents and employees use code words to refer to North Korea, Iran, and Syria, all countries that the United States has sanctions against that particularly prohibit selling technology. While Huawei is a Chinese company, the U.S. has said it will block any foreign businesses or individuals involved in trade with North Korea from the U.S. financial system. Huawei is already facing heat from alleged secret sales of technology to Iran. The Justice Department charged the company with bank fraud and violations of U.S. sanctions, and Canada arrested Huawei's CFO, the daughter of the company's founder, at the behest of the U.S. An extradition battle remains underway. Trump signaled in May that U.S. firms would have to wind down relationships with Huawei, including selling them chips and software, because the administration said the company and affiliated firms have engaged in activities contrary to the national, security, or foreign policy interests of the United States. But then it offered a 90-day exemption for ongoing relationships for existing handsets and networks. Then days ago, at the G20 summit, Trump said he'd let U.S. firms once again sell to Huawei, but only, quote, where there's no great national security problem. Anyway, this alleged extensive work in North Korea complicates matters further. The Commerce Department has investigated links between Huawei and North Korea since 2016, the Washington Post says, and Trump is desperate for a foreign policy win by getting Kim Jong-un to agree to binding nuclear weapons restrictions. So it's anyone's guess what random decision he makes next about Huawei. In the holy crap, this story is still going on department, Google has offered to pay $13 million to end a 2010 lawsuit over Wi-Fi spying, according to Bloomberg. The suit asked for billions in damages in its initial filing. I've reported on this story for nearly a decade. Google quietly began recording Wi-Fi signal information to enhance location finding while also recording imagery for Street View. But that wasn't the problem. In 30 countries, it was running software between 2008 and 2010 that also passively captured data passing over open, unencrypted Wi-Fi networks. The company's vice president of engineering and research said in 2010, it's clear from those inspections that while most of the data is fragmentary in some instances, entire emails and URLs were captured as well as passwords. Yeah, that's right. In 2010, people were still sending their passwords in the clear. We didn't have HTTPS everywhere it was a rough time. It took years for Google to settle matters with state regulators, especially in privacy-minded countries like Germany. It was a real privacy black eye for a company whose motto at the time was still, don't be evil, as its story about what data it acquired and what it was doing and what data it had destroyed shifted several times. The lawsuit accused Google of violating the Federal Wiretap Act, which would have meant a fine of $10,000 for every person whose data was captured. An appeals court in 2013 didn't rule on whether Google had violated the law, but said the act was valid to raise in the lawsuit. Google had maintained that it was legal to intercept Wi-Fi signals. 20 named plaintiffs in the lawsuit will receive a little money, lawyers will get as much as 25%, and the rest will be distributed to consumer privacy groups, Bloomberg reports. The settlement came late on Friday without any fanfare. No one's quite sure why it suddenly got resolved. The shift to mobile devices means every smartphone is a little Wi-Fi sniffer, capturing snapshots of network signals around it, but not the data that passes over open networks, and it pairs those network names and signal strengths with GPS coordinates that it's derived from its onboard satellite receivers and then uploads those snapshots to Apple, Google, and others. Google has also agreed to end an age discrimination class action lawsuit that involved 227 people by paying $11 million. Plaintiffs will get about $35,000 each and lawyers will pocket $2.75 million if approved by the federal judge overseeing the litigation. In this case, the start was a job applicant who said she'd interviewed at Google four times over seven years and was never offered a job despite her skills and experience accusing the company of discrimination on the basis of age. Google said it wasn't true, even though its interviewers said that those applicants could be a good fit for the company's culture, but the company maintained that they didn't have the, quote, technical aptitude, unquote. It's no secret that tech companies discriminate on the basis of age. At tech companies, the median age of their employees that is half or younger and half older is typically around 30 for firms like Facebook, Google, Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft. At Oracle, IBM, and HP, that number is closer to 40. Stories abound from older engineers who are laid off while a company hires younger folk or who can't get a job, unless, of course, they know COBOL and want a financial sector position where the ancient language remains in heavy use. (music) Who will replace Tim Cook? Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, someone who seems to have many moles inside the company based on the accuracy of his reporting over many years, says that Chief Operating Officer Jeff Williams is likely the heir apparent for the unknown future date when Cook would decide to move on. The departure of Johnny Ive shifted his design studio's work under Williams' control, and he's now clearly the number two person at Apple. Gurman writes that several former and current Apple employees said that, quote, Williams has distinguished himself as a modest, disciplined, demanding leader in the current CEO's style. But is that what Apple needs? Someone who'd be comfortable wearing a cardigan? A former senior Apple executive said, if you think Cook is doing a good job, then it's a good choice. Apple critics want the company to introduce an industry-changing, industry-destroying new product every year, always alleging that it used to do so. In fact, the Mac and the iPhone were the only dramatically disruptive products in the company's history. Others, like the iPad and Apple Watch, throw off huge amounts of profit and dominate in their categories more quietly and largely get ignored for the minor disruption that they are. It's more likely we see more iPads and Apple Watches, things that take a new spin on an old idea and perfect it than something that's as radically disruptive as another iPhone. People miss Steve Jobs because they projected all the attributes of the company, good and bad, onto him and awarded him all the successes too. But there's a different personality needed when a company is a scrappy underdog that fought its way to the top versus a giant beast that needs to lumber across the countryside. Apple's greatest ability is killing its own darlings, as the phrase goes. It doesn't hold on to old products or old software from nostalgia. It often makes radical changes such as the overhaul of the iOS interface several releases ago. Apple dropped the expensive gold watch that didn't sell and ditched the trash can Mac Pro that wasn't up to snuff for expansion, even if it took them years to make a new Mac Pro. Let's face it, nobody can articulate what the next big missing product is that everyone needs, and Apple remains best suited to understand that. The next big thing is more likely to come in software than hardware anyway. Finally, Etsy invests in gratuitous sacks and senseless violins. The crafty site will purchase Reverb, a marketplace for musical instruments, both new and used, paying $275 million in the deal. Etsy is best known for Twee and Faye products that have inspirational phrases printed in letterpress on them, knit holders for glass air plant terrariums, and vintage goods that your parents tried to get rid of. But there's only so much of that you can sell. A specialty marketplace seems like a great compliment. And that's the news. I've been your host, Glenn Fleischman, in for Brian McCullough, who is currently within about five miles of me on vacation, running silent. If you're interested in printing and typographic history, you might like my latest project, the Tiny Type Museum and Time Capsule, which you can find at tinytypemuseum.com. And you can find me on Twitter far too often at Glen F. Thanks to the editors at TechMeme who tweet out every headline they post every hour of the day at TechMeme. It's a great way to... Stay on top of the tech news. Have a great evening.